The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, good evening. Oh, that was weak. Good evening. Ah, oh, that's so much better. Well, hey, my name is Jason. I, uh, I have the privilege of being here with you this evening. I was affectionately referred to as the sex guy uh, when Ryan had the pleasure of introducing me. Um, just don't call me that on the Av. Um, that might be a little weird, uh, and it might get me in trouble. Um, one of the things I uh, do for a living is I actually have the opportunity to speak on uh, issues of sex, sexuality, and relationships. Uh, and I'll share a little bit of how I got involved with it. It was a fluke. And, uh, and one of the things that I, I have the privilege of doing that is through a ministry called Project 619. And uh, it's simply a ministry that is dedicated to speaking on biblical sexuality, recognizing that sexuality is one of the most important things that we can speak about in order for us to have a better understanding of the gospel. So much of what we find with sex, sexuality, relationships, uh, often uh, holds uh, dynamics of bad news. And I recognize that in speaking about this topic, we can actually um, share what is good about this great gift, but also then declare uh, the gospel through the declaration and discussion uh, of sex, sexuality, and relationships. So, um, and I- I'm uh, related to this ministry simply through my wife, my wife, Emily Vansel, now Emily Soschneck, or what she might have been referred to if you knew her as Vancy Pants. Um, we tried Soshi pants, but it uh, sounds like her pants are full. So um, th- that, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily work, so we, we stopped that pretty quickly after we got uh, married. So um, we started our first week here two weeks ago. I was here two weeks ago, and then last week we had a conversation uh, with relationships and some of the different dyna- dynamics. God bless you. Um, and, and one of the things that we find uh, is this. Uh, the, the very first week, if you weren't with us, we, we talked about this dynamic of sex being more than physical. Uh, That sex, if we look at it in the context of what we find in Scripture, is that uh, sex, uh, sexual desire is good. It's not just good, it's very good. But it points towards a a bigger yes. It points towards uh, a way in which we are created that is one for connection. If we look at this uh, dynamic of sex and sexuality, it points towards a, a unity or a oneness that we long for. It points back to our creator. And one of the things that we so often miss when we speak about sex is we miss the opportunity to speak about the one that created this great gift. See, I I got involved with this by a a fluke. I'm not uh, one that went to school to become a sex educator. Uh, I think that when I was younger, I thought that might be cool, but that was not my goal. Um, I, I don't have a background in any sort of theology training or a master's in divinity. It's simply through my own learning. I actually got involved with this because of, of my story. And, and I'll share a little bit about that this evening. But uh, for many years, I, uh, and if you missed this when uh, I was here last time, I, I spoke about the dynamic or the choice that I made to become sexually active. It was a choice that I made, and, and it was something that had a huge impact on the way that I saw myself later in life. I sat in shame uh, because of some of the choices I made, specifically when I came to church. A lot of times I didn't want to go to church and hear a conversation on sex or sexuality because of this dynamic of shame that 
laid over me. There is so much that is tied to this one subject, and I, and I get that. And, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't until I recognized uh, something in, in the story that we've been written into that, that the dynamic of my sexuality began to change. And, and it was through my past that God began to shape my future. That God actually used my story in ways I would have never imagined. It started uh, with a group of friends I had in college. Uh, I lived with eight guys in a house. It smelled like an armpit. Um, and we, we, would, we would do life together. And one of the things that we would do are these things called epic journeys. Now, epic journeys always begin with someone yelling out, epic journey, and we'd have to come and congregate into our living room, wherever we could find space. And we would, we would gather, and, and within 30 minutes, we knew that we were leaving on a journey. And there were multiple things we had to do. We had to, to first learn where we were going. And then we would have to gather all of our clothes. We could only use cash. We did not use debit cards uh, or, or any sort of credit cards. It made the experience much more fun, especially when you run out of gas. Um, and, and, and so one other thing that we would always do is we would stop at the store because we wanted to remember the conversations that we would have. Because the conversations we would have would deal with relationship. They deal with this topic of sex. They deal with this dynamic of sexuality. Because it was what was on our minds. It, you know, we marinated on this 24-7. And, and so we would talk about this. So we'd stop at the store and we'd pick up a, a, a stuffed animal, much like this cute little one. And, and we'd pick it up and, and we'd, we'd register or we, you know, we'd check out and we'd go to our car. And right before we would leave, we would do something with it. Because we wanted to remember the journey, we wanted to remember the conversations, we would actually grab rope from the back of our trunk and then tie it to the back of our car. Um, and and, and here, here's what would happen. It, all of a sudden, then was no longer a stuffed animal, it was a DTSA, which was a designated tortured stuffed animal. <laughs> and so there's nothing like driving down the road and whoever is driving looking in the rearview mirror seeing this. <laughs> right? And then, and then uh, th- there was nothing like watching the faces of those that passed First, maybe the parents, and they'd be like. And then there was always the kids. And then they'd look over at us, a bunch of college students, and we'd be like, ha, 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 Like we were demented. And here it was, it would be flinging, and we'd give names to them, right? And, and, and throughout the journey, we'd lose certain parts. There was nothing like a cute teddy bear like this that by the end was only a, a head hanging off the back of the, the car. Now, here's the deal. We, we, would, we would go on these journeys, these epic journeys, but the journey wasn't what was so epic about it. It was the conversations that would end up happening. See, it was in those conversations for the first time I heard something I'd never heard before. It was this dynamic of our sexuality being something that belonged to God. I remember a friend said, I want to live in a way that I am sexually whole in Christ. And I thought, what the heck does that mean? Like, I mean, am I handing over my sexuality? What does that mean? But it was something that resonated. There was something in that that I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand what does it mean to be sexually whole? Am I, am I only living sexually half of my life in Christ? Am I living any part of I wanted to understand this dynamic of what it meant to be sexually whole in Christ. And so we would have conversations and we would come back to this. And the thing that I, that I learned is that I had been shaped by something that we even find uh, in Scripture. See, in Genesis, 
we went on this journey two weeks ago. We looked at the dynamic of uh, Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2, the, the dynamic of, uh, of sex and, and, and the dynamic of us, the crown of creation. And it wasn't just good, it was very good. But there had been something that happened. Because see, at the end of that, where we uh, ended our conversation was that sex, this dynamic, was something that's more than physical. And, and it ends with, they were naked and without shame. But then, in Genesis, there's something that ends up happening. In Genesis 3, it says this, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent, el diablo, Satan, um, <clears throat> the devil, uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And we talked a little bit about that. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? So pay attention to some of the voices. And just so you know, sometimes it's not necessarily a voice. Sometimes it's what we don't say that can speak louder than words. We see, the, we see Satan, the serpent. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent... We may eat, so now we've got two voices. We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, uh, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly, uh, certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, you know, I, I read this, uh, and, and, I, and I look at this, and I, I remember uh, one of the dynamics was this. I, you have to imagine for the first time seeing each other naked. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, right? They're, they're standing there, and can you imagine, you know, nakedness without shame? And then all of a sudden they look over and they see each other naked, right? Ah! <laughs> Woo! Ah! Right? Like, all of a sudden something happens. But see, here's the deal. It's not just the, the physical element. There, there's something more at play here. There's something that begins to occur. Where, where they're, they're not just looking on the outside, they're looking on the inside. In fact, everything at this moment kind of turns from this to now this. I think a lot of times when we hear about the fall, when we see this story, we think, oh, well, that, that means that there is this dynamic of, of, of brokenness between us and God, each other. But the dynamic is, is that there's also brokenness with us in the world and then there's brokenness with us in general, and the way that we see ourselves. Sin is all about turning inward. In fact, then it says they were naked and with shame. Shame is this, this really powerful thing in our culture. We live in shame with a lot of the things that, that happen around us. Now, I, I want to say this real quick, because shame is this dynamic of saying or speaking this idea of I am a mistake. Now, here's the reality. You're not a mistake. But Satan recognized that with shame, especially with our generation, 
It causes us to come to a place where we say, I am a mistake. Especially when it comes to our sexuality and the things that we see and that we hear. Just think about some of the ways in which we hear this in our culture. I'm a horrible person. No one could ever forgive me for what I did. How could I ever be worthy of love? And that's just from what I've heard on The Bachelor in the last few weeks. Not that I watch it. I just asked for my wife to give me updates. Now, here's the thing. That's what we hear. That's what we see. Now, now I also got to say that because, say this, because one of the dynamics is maybe we think, well, I don't say those things. Because especially when we start talking about sex, what happens is that we can become so focused on the things that we've been successful in not, or not doing, right? Well, I've never kissed someone. I, I've waited. I, I'm still a virgin. And those are great things. Those are wonderful things. But sometimes that can move us to a place of pride. It can move us to a place where, again, we begin to focus inward. And not that we think that we're a mistake, but then we think, are we normal? I know individuals that have chosen a way and then they're made fun of by other people and they begin to question some of the choices. See, Satan's really good. What he did in the garden was he just flipped the words. His voice became one that flipped what was happening. Because the dynamic of shame is that it, it wants to move you to a place that says, I am a mistake. Now that's different. And I want to separate that from this from guilt. Because guilt is something different. Guilt, or another word might be conviction, is one of, I made a mistake. There is a huge difference between, I am a mistake and I made a mistake. Especially when it comes to our sexuality. Especially when it comes to relationships. There's a huge difference. See, what, what Satan wants to do is move us to a place of shame. See, Satan's goal is to remove or try to separate us from our true identity, to walk into our true self, to have our identity to be fulfilled in Christ, to, to have completeness, wholeness in Christ. There's no place in our culture that we see shame taking as much power as when we look at the issue of pornography. There's many things that I, that I, could, I could talk about. When I de determine what I'm trying to share this evening, there's so many different things that I want for you to understand. There's so many different dynamics I want you to, 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 to receive. But here's the reality. We used to say or joke with the fact that porn doesn't impact everyone. But here is the reality. It virtually now impacts everyone. It's not that you go looking for it. It's that it's going to find you. Pornographers make billions upon billions of dollars. Their goal is to find you. They know that they can make money if they lure you in. When I was younger, I used to uh, uh, use a computer uh, much like this one. Um, <laughs> joking. <laughs> That's my dad's. Um, but we, I would get on the computer, and if I wanted to go somewhere, I, I'd, I'd have to do this thing called dial-up. I don't know, maybe some of you are familiar with it, right? You know, it starts with this like ringtone, right? Beep, 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 beep. And then you'd hear this like thing that was like, ah! 
right? Which sounded like something was dying in your computer. And then it would get louder and it'd be like, ah! And you're like, what the heck is going on? And then all of a sudden it would go to the scream, ah! And you're like, oh my gosh, something is dying. And then it would say this, welcome. I wasn't about to go anywhere because I just woke up the entire neighborhood. Now, here's the reality. There is something that has changed. Today, we can get on the internet by simply picking up our phone. We have this ability to go places that we would have never dreamed. In high school, I wanted a pager. (laughs) I'll explain what that is later if you have a question. I didn't want a cell phone. And now all of a sudden, the cell phone can actually substitute for a computer. And here's the thing. There are a number of different lies and things that we're told. And here's the thing with pornography. As it's trying to take something that is holy. Our desire, our sexual desire, which is very good, and move it towards a place that perverts that desire. And if we don't think that we're being impacted by porn, you've got to think again. See, pornography has a huge impact on the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see each other. I just came across a study that was talking about this issue of pornography that was looking at some of the impact that it's having beyond the self. Three things. Listen to this. First of all, people who use pornography have crushingly unreal expectations about what a love partner should look like and how they must perform. Individuals that are exposed to to doses, not even just high doses, but doses of pornography, expect the individual, the love partner, to act like a porn star. That's not just impacting the self, that's now impacting others. Or think about this, a significant number of males that actively view porn have diminished capacity to handle some of the messiness of real relationships. See, in pornography, let me, let me clear this up. Statistically, many of us in here that are men have spent anywhere close to about 10,000 hours alone in a room, not looking at pornography, <laughs> uh, playing video games. And what it does is it it causes us to be in isolation outside of, of, of dynamic of conversation. And so the messiness of real relationships, it becomes more difficult to deal with. And here's the third thing. All women are being forced to accommodate their sexual behavior and appearances to the styles and images of pornography. This is having a huge impact on the way that we interact. This is not just an issue of men anymore. Women are the fastest growing group of those that use pornography, specifically women ages 18 to 24. I came across this image several years ago, but it was one of uh, Hiroshima. And one of the things that ended up happening when the bombing first occurred was this. The, The initial impact caused harm to about 80,000 people, killed about 80,000 people. But over the course of the next several months, it ended up killing close to about 150,000 people. It started with an initial blast, and then it spread its way out. Here's the deal. 
pornography, or rather shame, does this dynamic where it begins here and then it explodes out and impacts us in a community. It might start with, I am a mistake, but then it turns into, we are a mistake. And then it turns into the way that we behave, the way that we act. But I believe this. I believe that we are seeking something holy when we are beginning this process, when we are moving toward, remember, it was very good. Sexual desire was pointing towards something bigger. I love the way uh, our, our ministry, our staff is reading some of this, some of our volunteers, and I came across this quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. And you're probably thinking, well, what does that mean? We're looking for connection. We're looking to, to, to be known, to be understood. Another uh, individual, and I don't usually get to, to quote this individual, but I loved this book. It was by this gentleman that had won a Pulitzer Prize for a book called The Denial of Death, Ernest Becker. And he, and he said this, that we are the first society that has a widespread belief that there is no ultimate future, that when we die, we die. He says that there has never been such a society that has such an insignificant view of society and its future. And as a result, there has never been a society that puts as much emphasis on finding true love and romance. Thus, people need to know that life still matters in the larger scheme of things, so they need to merge themselves with something higher, uh, with meaning uh, of trust and of gratitude. But if we don't have God, then how do we do this? So we seek a romantic solution. We seek meaning in the love partner. And this is his quote. I I love the way that um, he says this. He says, The self-glorification that human beings need in our innermost being is now not found in God, but in the love partner. What it is that we want when we elevate the love partner to this elevation? Well, we want to rid ourselves of our faults, rid ourselves of our feelings of nothingness. We want to be justified. We want to be known uh, that our existence matters. We want redemption, nothing less. There is something that drives us to this place that wants us or leads us to this place where we want redemption. See, the reason we discuss this is, is because there is something with sex that's leading us towards something bigger. The reason we discuss this is that every single one of us in here is tempted sexually. Every single one of us. But it's leading us towards something bigger. I had the, this, this image of God when I, when I was younger. It was in our house. Uh, I always called it Death Ray Jesus. Um, uh, Death Ray Jesus had this image of, of him towering over this sister who's kneeling down, and he's got this ray coming from his chest. And, then, you know, in the morning, I'd always make this sound like, pew! <laughs> and, and, you know, I, it was a nun, so I'd always be like, gotcha, sister. And, uh, and, and, and it was this dynamic that ended up shaping the way that I would see God. Because, see, I thought that God, I thought shame was a part of the existence that I was to live in. And I thought God was always kind of saying, like, with that death ray, like, ha-ha, I always thought I was sitting within his wrath, within his judgment. 
And I couldn't have been further from the truth. When it comes to this subject of sex, of sexuality, are you sitting in a place of shame that doesn't cause you to move? Because shame, what it does is it causes you to stay still. Or what happens in the garden? They hide. They hide. Sexual sin, the thing that Satan most wants us to do is to hide. But there's something more that we have to understand. There's something that, that those desires, the things that, that are there, they're driving us towards something different, different. Not towards being hidden, but moving somewhere. I love this, this image that happens with the Samaritan woman. Maybe you've gone through this before. But in John, there's this image of uh, the Samaritan woman that comes to fill her bucket with water. But Jesus does something. Jesus has this interaction with her that's powerful. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I might not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. I, I can almost, uh, like, man, like, do you read this? Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? And, and he says, the fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. See, here's the deal. There is this dynamic within this story. I have the life. I have the water that is going to quench your thirst. You're trying to quench your thirst through these relationships. See, Jesus isn't trying to, to show the, the brokenness, trying to show what kind of messed up sex life this, this girl's having. No, he's trying to say, listen, you're trying to quench your thirst here, but that's not what's going to quench your thirst. I think a lot of times we move into this place where we want to be known, we want to be understood, we want to move to this place of redemption. And we do that through some of the relationships that we're a part of or the things that we may not choose to do. But here's the thing, that's not going to be the thing that quenches our thirst. See, our sexuality will not be complete until we are sexually whole in Jesus, until we come to a place where he is quenching every desire, where he is the one in which life is being determined. And see, when he becomes the source of our identity, when he becomes the source of the, the quenching that we want to have for life, it then changes the way that we see our sexuality. We move from a place where it's not just, I'm choosing to wait, there's a dynamic that's totally different. Because I think that a lot of times we can say that we're choosing to wait. We're, we, we make it to the altar and we've been virgins, but the reality is we never honored God with that gift. There are multiple people that I know that have chosen to wait, but have never honored God with their virginity. Just simply choosing to wait, that's not what the point is. Yes, there is something different. And scripture points this beautiful picture of what sex in marriage and sex 
outside of it, two different things. There is something about sex and marriage and the covenant of marriage that is totally different than that outside of it. I remember coming across this, um, this article that was talking about this dynamic of virginity. And, and it fits so well with some of this desire we have. I, I think some of the dynamic of how we speak about it, how it needs to change. Listen to these words. What is more, virginity is a legalistic concept. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard the question, am I still a virgin, if we only? There is constantly a question of how far is too far before one's virginity is lost. And here's the thing, when we come to this place where we ask this question, how far is too far, really all we're asking is, how much can I get away with? And there has to be, because anything that is so absolutely and incurably that separates the innocent from the slut has to be legalistic. But God does not look at the heart at the intention that causes, but does not God look at the heart at the intention that causes the action? Please listen. Virginity pays no heed to intentions, and so it cannot really be a marker of holiness. It can only be a cause for pride for the one who has and the shame for the one who does not. This is why virginity is simply not important. But one might argue, if we don't think of virginity as important, then we will engage in promiscuity. There is a flaw in that thinking. Virginity is not the opposite of sexual promiscuity. Chastity is. Chastity is the virtue of turning one's sexuality towards love. Now, here's the deal. As soon as I say chastity or purity, some of us in here might come to a place where we think, I don't know. Because we grew up with pictures of, well, chastity or purity with daisies next to it. You know, all I wanted was a picture of something exploding. And, you know, chastity, get some, huh? Um, But here's the deal. There is something so powerful and it points us towards a relationship. It points us towards a quenching of the thirst. Please listen. Chastity is the virtue of turning one's sexuality towards love, Christ. It is a holistic virtue that actively seeks to bring the full sexual dimension of one's being into self-giving love. Chastity can, if lost, be fully restored, just like honesty, courage, and all other virtues. The loss of chastity leaves no permanent stains. With chastity, we need no longer be concerned with the absurd or hurtful questions, such as, am I still a virgin if? Your chastity can never be stolen for you, from you, for it is, something, it is not something you actively do. Your chastity is a declaration of love, not a history of past actions. God has not given you your sexuality to be a burden that you fearfully hope to guard against any taint until you can get married. Instead, God has given you your sexuality so that you might more fully give yourself in love. Understanding chastity is clear that it is wrong to use our sexuality for selfishness. That is why sex can only be truly loving within marriage. For only within marriage can one's sexuality be given totally and freely and fruitfully and faithfully in sex. In this way, chastity, unlike virginity, should be preserved even within marriage. Whether married or unmarried, we are called to direct our sexualities towards love. But only in marriage can this self-giving truly manifest itself in the act of sex. It is this understanding and the meaning of our sexualities that not only speaks of love, but of grace as well. 
that helps us move beyond the shame and guilt that is brought by seeing our sexualities through the lens of virginity. Our identity should not be in our sexual histories. We should not strive to be virgins until married as though we trade one identity for another. Rather, we should find our identity in being lovers loved by God in which chastity is one part of the love we express for all of creation and its creator. Let me repeat that one last phrase. Rather, we should find our identity in being lovers loved by God in which chastity is the one part of love we express for all of creation and its creator. Another way that I love that C.S. Lewis actually points out is this. He says that the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us, he invented us, he invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is not, it is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. See, one of the dynamics that that happened in my own life was this. Because one of the things that ended up happening was I came to this place where I recognized that the relationships I was a part of were not the things that were fulfilling any sort of the needs that I had. See, what I was seeking was redemption. What I was seeking was my sexuality to come into a completeness that could only happen in my relationship with Christ. It wasn't about my virginity. It was about something so much more. And see, as I handed my past over to Christ, it wasn't about my past anymore. It was about my future. It was about where I was going. See, I used to think that a part of of getting back to God's intent was going back, of getting to the place without shame. But here's the reality, naked and without shame. But the reality is this. There is this movement that happens. And as we point ourselves towards Christ, as we become whole in him, our sexuality takes on a different dimension. See, in Scripture, we move from the city, I'm sorry, we move from the garden to the city. And it's at the end in Scripture, in Revelation, that we are clothed in Christ. Being clothed in Christ changes the dynamic of how we see our sexuality. It moves us to a place where it's not about virginity but chastity. It moves us to a place where it's not about our past, it's about our future and where he's taking us. I think one of the dynamics that we have to understand is this, or my desire is this, that you are able to come to a place where your sexuality takes on a dimension much bigger than the physical, which is within the realm of the relationship that you share in Christ. And that because of that relationship, it takes on a dimension that allows you to not be determined by your past, but to be able to be propelled forward in such a way that you recognize that you are not a mistake, that there is no place for shame, that guilt or conviction, you recognize the mistake that you made, but you become whole in Christ. Your thirst is quenched in him and not in someone else. That is where redemption lives. You know, one of the dynamics that, um, this is my last thought, 
But one of the dynamics that happened in my own life, when I reflected on the stories that would be shared on these trips, when I reflect back on what it meant to be sexually whole in Christ, I had tried all my life to try to get into this place, or I tried living several years to get to this place where I, I would be forgiven. I, I, I had a hard time with forgiving myself and seeking forgiveness. I used to say, gosh, God can forgive them, but he can't forgive me. But the reality was, it wasn't until I fully gave myself over to the Lord that I came to this place where I said, Lord, my life is yours. My sexuality is yours. What you want to do with the relationships in my life is yours. That those dynamics began to shift. They began to change. That my focus became him, that I began to move further away from the sin in my life. My hope is this, is that as you change your focus as your focus becomes the one that will quench your thirst, that will change the dynamic of the sexuality, of sex, and the relationships that you share. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share uh, this gift that you have given to us. I pray, Lord, that as we seek you, that you will bring our sexuality into a dimension that will bring uh, understanding, that will bring wholeness, I pray for the removal of shame in the name of Christ, that you will replace it with just your peace, your shalom. Meet us where we're at. If healing needs to take place, may that be so. If confession needs to happen, may that occur. Surround us with others that will allow us to be able to engage in this conversation as we seek to become completely whole in you, Lord Jesus. Quench our thirst, and we pray this now in your precious name. Amen.